0: I love the word tall tales because that's like an American kind of word for like myths, you know? People love mythologies, right? I remember living through the 90s and there's this official version of the 90s now. It's like there was hair metal and then nirvana came and suddenly no one liked that music anymore and everyone was wearing flannel. And I think of the 90s that way and it's like a mythology I think it's a kind of theatricality and and that is a hype principle, theatricality and drama. And I think it's a form of creating new myths.
1: This is Show Your Business Who's Boss. Listen in on behind the scenes, unfiltered conversations with my favorite business owner friends who take charge and make their businesses work for them. Don't just be your own boss, show your business who's boss. I'm Pia Silva. On today's episode, I am excited to have fellow marketer, owner of marketing company Microfame Media, and now about to be published author, business badass Michael F. Shine. I always love getting together with Michael because he's such a creative thinker. He's an artist at heart, and yet he has this marketer's mind. And he's just one of those people who's genuinely curious and interested in ideas and books. And so I just always walk away with new inspiration and new info when I talk to him. So I know you're going to enjoy this conversation. And we're here to celebrate his new book book, which is coming out in just a few days on January 12th with McGraw-Hill. It's called The Hype Handbook, 12 Indispensable Success Secrets from the World's Greatest Propagandists, Self-Promoters, Cult Leaders, Mischief Makers, and Boundary Breakers. What a title. Love that. We're going to chat about some of these propaganda success secrets, how one of them got Michael kicked off of Forbes, but it got him great press. And we're going to chat about his journey to actually getting a traditional publishing deal, which anyone who is wondering whether to self-publish or pitch for publishers is going to want to hear. So buckle up. Here we go. Hello, Michael F. Shine. <laughs> Welcome to the show. It's been a long time. It has,
0: unfortunately.
1: I know. Uh, last time I spoke to you, last t- I mean, last time we had a real meaty conversation, you were shopping around for an agent. Was it? I don't know if it was an agent or a publisher, actually. But you were shopping this book around.
0: Yeah, it's it's been a journey. So it could have been either. This is my third agent, actually.
1: Oh my gosh! Yeah. Well, tell us a little bit about that. Like, let's start there because I think everyone wants to know what this, what this book journey is like. you you have a book coming out. Actually, back up. You have a book coming out. When is it coming out?
0: So it is coming out on January twelfth, two thousand twenty-one. Thankfully, not in two thousand twenty. For start. Yeah. Yes. <laughs>
1: Okay. And congratulations. Thank very, you. very exciting. So wh- like what happened? How <laughs> how did you get here?
0: So the book is called The Hype Handbook. And when I had the idea for it, it was like a eureka moment. And I was sure that the world wanted this book. Like it was, it was a no brainer to me that this thing would find a publisher because it was such a brilliant idea, right? So I was basically looking at All of these unconventional promoters, you know, uh, propaganda artists and old rock band managers and hip hop managers before it became professional and uh, cult leaders and extracting from all of these really unconventional people, how they get people in large numbers to do what they want and how to apply that ethically. So. And in the beginning, it seemed pretty good. I I, I right away got an agent and a, a real agent. And that's something that a lot of writers have trouble with, you know, from a big agency. And
1: how'd you get the agent?
0: I, 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 I cold pitched, you know, I mean, believe I it or not, I, I made a list of 45 names and cold pitched. I think it helped that one of the clients of my company is... The Medici Group, whose founder is Franz Johansson, who wrote The Medici Effect. And this agency represents Franz. So I mentioned that in, in the email. But, you know, you can't cold pitch an editor for, for the most part, but you can cold pitch agents, right? Isn't but, that
1: how they get a lot of their clients? They do. They do.
0: Okay. Um, not editors. They get them through agents with what I, so, so yeah, I mean, but it's hard to get an agent. Right. And, and a lot of writers go years and years and years without getting an agent. I got one pretty quickly. So I was counting the advance money in my head. I mean, I, I was like, <laughs> great. I, I went out for drinks.
1: Wait, question. Okay. But yeah. you let's back up because you had a, an ink column, a column on ink for a long time. You have a Forbes column, Right. You've been writing and I assume all of this was in your proposal. So you you've built like what kind of stuff did you say in this proposal to get their attention?
0: Yeah. So so it's interesting because I think I worked really hard on the book, but I think in some ways I worked harder on the proposal because it's about 60 pages long. I've rewritten it three times for different agents yeah i mean i think the first page as with most things is the most important i had to in a very short time hook them into this idea because they'll put it down if they don't get past the first page yeah i mean the fact that i own a marketing agency i i think is no small you know
1: i would think that's a slam dunk like in and of itself <laughs>
0: The yeah, I mean that that that's a big one. You know, I talked about you, you basically make a case. It's a business plan for a book, and you have to show your writing. So I had to write a chapter or two, right? I mean, they want to know that you're a good writer, right? Uh-huh. If you to write the whole book, but you do have to show that you have a good voice and that that people will like to read this book, right? So anyway, I I, I sent it to this guy. And he was like what I always expected. You know, I wanted to be a writer my whole life. I never wanted to own a business. I love owning a business now, but it all came out of my writing. So, I mean, I remember seeing like Misery, the movie, you know, and I like Stephen King a lot and how the agent would take him to dinner at like this nice restaurant. And that was just like always appealing to me, that whole like agent client relationship. So that's what happened. This guy took me to dinner (laughs) and to lunch at a nice place and the whole deal, you know, he was like really a literary guy, which I thought was cool because I'm kind of in my heart a literary guy and I don't get to express that a lot. And he, he kind of said, I'm an editor within the company, you know? So that should have been my first warning, actually, because he gave me all of these suggestions that were really sort of highfalutin. And I got into it. I took them. I'm, res- I'm, I'm a big boy. I'm responsible for my own thing. You know, I thought it would be cool to have a real fancy pants kind of book, you know, but we really took a lot of the how to elements out and made it more conceptual, you know, and at a certain point, I started to push back against that a little but he was like, No, that it's more like a sapiens kind of thing. And so I went with it, you know, and oh,
1: he said uh, sapiens, you were like, Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is right, right. mine is the sapiens of hype. Yes, I, I would. Yeah. I would have followed that for a while so it's like i don't know
0: i mean rookie mistake you don't trust yourself you trust the experts right so i did this thing it became more like this exploration of hype and i sent it out and so i would get things like this guy's voice is good but it doesn't have enough positive takeaways this guy's it's a great concept but it doesn't have enough takeaway you know like how to and and the guy basically came back to me and said well, some people said that it didn't have enough how to some people said that it had too much how to and I was like, said that it didn't. It
1: <laughs> Nobody a, said yeah. it had too much. How-to. <laughs> Except you yeah. on my earlier draft, yeah. Right.
0: So, and what I realized about the agent thing was and a great agent can be vital. And now I have a great agent, but the, the agent thing is weird. It's almost like a, a bit of a hustle because editors only take books from agents agents get 15% and when once you, they say, sorry
1: role, sorry uh, I'm going to cut you off when you say editors are you talking about publishers
0: yeah, yeah acquisition editors okay okay so an editor an executive editor like like an acquisitions editor who also edits your book not proofreads it not copies edit it right. but conceptual changes it's their project so you yeah. want like a good ed- they buy they have to sell it to the sales team whatever But what I realized was he basically went through his like 16 contacts that he thought the book was good for and then basically said, "Uh, mm, we we didn't make it happen. Now, my impression was that an agent should be your agent, like go out and like, you know, like Brian Epstein for the Beatles, you know, like (laughs) make the, the thing happen but they get 15% and it's just like a gateway thing, you know? So that was it. He stopped, he literally stopped returning my, my emails, which was <gasps> like, literally like, it was very unprofessional. Like he stopped returning. Yeah. My I'm not going to say who, who the guy is, you know?
1: No, but, but that's not cool.
0: It was very weird. So I got this really, really disappointed, but being the, the self-starter I am after like, whatever, I was like, okay, I'm going to do it the how-to version now, the way I always yeah. wanted to and, blah, blah. So I rewrote the entire proposal and it took a long time and pitched it again. And I found an even better agent who had big best-selling, like self-help business type books. Right. And I, I don't have much bad to say about this guy, except for the fact that he pitched it to his 17 people to basically said they wanted it, but then they couldn't get the sales team to buy it, you know? So it's, and, and it didn't work. So then I got depressed because uh, I still think of myself as a writer first. And I'm like, I thought this book was really good. I guess not. You know what I mean? But it's weird because whenever I do an article on the topic of hype, it gets like five times the number of visits. Is like, like, I have an article that got like 150,000 views. I've had ones that get 500 that aren't on the topic, you know what I mean? So, right. And everyone likes it, and I've gotten two agents that are big. So like, what is it? like Okay, but I guess it sucks, you know? I mean, I guess the thing, you know, and at that point I started to get down on myself, you know? So I'm like, but I still think there's something to it, but I, I guess it's not gonna be a book. So I started thinking, what else can I do and this and that. So around the same time, totally randomly, I got an email from China and it had Chinese characters in the subject, so I thought it was spam. It was not spam. It was this guy, Si Bin, who I'm now friends with. Anyway, so this guy's Chinese, but moved here when he was like 14, and he has a partner who's Chinese who moved here when he was 12, and they met in Boston University and started a company basically selling American entrepreneurship-style coaching products to Chinese people where there's a big demand for that, and they've done extremely well at a very young age. you know. And they're really cool guys, really smart. I learn a lot from them. I'm 43 and I'm like always learning from these guys. And anyway, they wanted me to write about them in Forbes. They came in at an angle. They were trying to, you know, and I was like, you know what? I'll write about you. This is a cool story. So they met me in New York and we hit it off. And they basically said, we want to fly you to China to speak. And I'm like, here's where I was really a daredevil. I don't know something about these guys. I wrote about them and then I just like trusted them, but I couldn't really verify because all their stuff's in in Chinese, you know, but I was like, okay. And I sort of thought like a white van was going to like arrive and they were going to make me like a political prisoner or something. But I was like, all right. So they, they bought me a ticket. It was, it was first class and like international first class with like my own waiter. And like the luxury lounge, I get there, a white van arrived. I I kid you not, but they did not take me to an underground bunker and they put me up in the St. Regis. I had a butler and then I got to the speaking thing. There were like 300 like raving people. Like, I don't know. My head was like blown up in the back. And they were like, oh, you're my idol. You're so handsome. You know, like it was crazy. Like I couldn't, I I had to take a pee and I couldn't get through the crowd. It was the craziest thing. I don't know how this happened. I mean, I am six foot four for the audience at home. So maybe that had something to do with it. I don't know. At one point I said, you know, so many people use these mass psychology principles for evil. It's my goal. They were all like small entrepreneurs. My goal is for you. like
1: No one here in this country, but yeah, lots right. Of people. Yeah. yeah but,
0: but I said to them, like, it's my goal for all of you to take this stuff and build your lives and use it for good. And someone was crying in the audience. It was really weird. So, but cool. Anyway,
1: amazing. and you went by yourself.
0: I went by myself. Yeah, yeah, okay. It was it was it was fun. And I, I really bonded with the people there and I was there for like ten days. And then afterwards I just spent time with their team and we over these really big meals and communal kind of meals like they have, we started talking about future work we could do together. And Sebin and Zayu, the guys that I know who brought me there were like, you know, it would be cool if we did some kind of joint venture to bring people like you to China, like other, you know, thinkers and business people i was like yeah it's like i was like i have a pretty good network i'll set up a bunch of meetings and we're still thinking of doing something together but that thing didn't work out however i got home there's this woman heidi krupp who's a very successful pr agent who always tried to get me to write about her people which is her job you know but really a pusher in the best way like like really you know that kind of thing tony robbins was her client at one point and whatever so I got home and I hadn't talked to this woman for a really long time. And I was like, Hey, yeah, she'd be cool. Cause she's really dynamic. Maybe she'd be good for China. So I invited her out and she, we, we met for dinner and I told her about the thing. She's like, yeah, yeah, I'll talk to them, you know? And I'm like, she's like, what else are you working on? I'm like, yeah, you know, I had this hype thing going I might turn it into products and I gave her the story. She's like, that could be a book. I'm like, you know, funny, you should say that because that was the original idea. And she said, I could sell that for you. And I'm like, yeah, BS, you know? Okay, sure. She sold it in two weeks. Wow. Because she just started an agency because she pushed and she made it happen. And I got a good deal. And and it and it was McGraw-Hill. And it was amazing. I mean, that's yeah. A,
1: that's a fan. I've heard of that publisher. <laughs> <laughs> that's but a yeah, big I mean, one.
0: It, it was really. And, and they gave me. For this kind of book, a good advance. I mean, it was like a real deal.
1: So she was so she's not a literary agent. She's a PR person.
0: She just started a literary agency because she has all these book clients. Gotcha. And she was like, you know, I'm doing all of this. Let me start an agency. And she had done like one deal before me. But all, but like all of her, all of her, the vast majority of her clients are like professional experts, you know, Tony Robbins being the, the prime example. And they all have books. Yeah. So like she's just uh, I just realized at that point, sometimes you just need a pusher. You know what I mean? I mean, you don't need the literary conversations and all this. Yeah. Well,
1: Well, not just that. I mean, your whole story is demonstrating, of course, it's not getting the agent. It's the right agent who's going to pitch it just like anything, because as much as your first page is the difference between a potential agent reading on or not. Their first page or whatever that is, pitching it to the sales team or the publishers or whoever they're pitching it to is also like that. So if they're not great at that, it's going to fall on deaf ears.
0: Yeah, you're 100 percent right. And I think a lot of these agents, even the ones who are successful, they rest on their laurels. It's just that Mm. they have this network and they're playing this numbers game where they get a bunch of, you know, it's a supply and demand thing. All these writers are so hungry to work with them and then they just throw it out to their 18 people And if it gets picked up, awesome. And if not, no big deal for them.
1: You need someone who's up and coming, but has had a few good hits or like, you know, who's got a pretty good network, but isn't quite over the hill, tired of this world yet and is still hungry to make a name for themselves. You got to find people in that sweet spot.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think that's right. I also think that in addition to that, it, it it for me. I got seduced by all the the razzmatazz. Like they wrote my name on the blackboard. This like fancy blackboard they had. Welcome, Michael F. Shine. You know, this and that. And Wait, I who? the one of the earlier agents. You know, Oh,
1: oh gotcha. One oh, the, the fancy dinner. Yeah, yeah, they had
0: like fiction books that I recognized there, and it was it was cool. Whereas like Heidi, she's an agent. Like you don't need deep conversations. You need a a hug,
1: someone who, (laughs) (laughs) you yeah, 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 yeah. Well, and also you did get her at a sweet spot because she is this sounds like a really uh, well-known and connected PR person starting a literary agency. So she's, is looking to get some books picked up.
0: You bring up a good point. I wonder if there's some way to like, you know, just in there's like a life lesson in this that if you can kind of find people who are really strong in one area and make trying to make it happen in another area, that's like a worthwhile thing to keep in mind.
1: Mm, next book called Get Get 'em in the Shift.
0: <laughs> yeah. Can't say that too fast, though. You might have certain podcasts. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Not this podcast. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's actually funny. It, it it is an interesting parallel story to a lot of people that I run into, and you probably do too, although you probably run into them a little bit later. I get contacted by all kinds of people leaving their corporate jobs or just left their corporate job looking to go into consulting. And they are in that sweet spot where they are the work that they do is worth a lot of money, but they're not worth a lot of money yet because they have never sold their services directly to someone yet. And, you know, sometimes I have to break the news to them, even though I'm all about premium pricing. I'm like, those first few clients, unless you have already worked with them and they really trust you, you're probably not gonna get those premium prices initially. And that's okay. You've gotta like do that little bit of hustle in the beginning to just build your little business. And those are the people. And I tell them, you can tell people that. You can be like, I made hundreds of thousands of dollars at my corporate job. And you're gonna get all that experience, but I am like starting this business, and that's the opportunity for you. And that's get them in the shift. Get get I'm them in the, the shift. I might
0: do your next book. I mean, I think that's <laughs> sounds
1: cool. like it. I've seen this yeah. all. Over the
0: you know more about this than me. I would. Do that <laughs>
1: <book>. <laughs> well, I'm so excited that you. It was so serendipitous that you bumped into this woman and mentioned your book. Also, by the way, another a life lesson. A side note, life lesson there is. If you're doing something like you want to get a book, you got to be telling everybody you're talking to, you you know, you never know. I don't like the whole networking principle of you never know who knows who as a reason to go have coffee with everyone. But if you're already having coffee with someone, tell them about your book, because who knows who they know?
0: It is part of a reason to have coffee with people. I mean, just, you know, it's it's I mean, not that you should be using people, but like, you know, the novel in the drawer stays in the drawer. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. and life is all serendipitous encounters. We take it out as, as being such a small world, but it's not a small world. That's how stuff happens. I mean, every story of someone who made it big, you know, I hear, I hear these stories about these people who said, yeah, if this and this thing didn't happen, I'm such a lucky person. And they're lucky, but they were out in the scene. They were making it happen. They weren't just mm-hmm. like around. Yes. A little yes. harder to do right now, unfortunately, but Yeah.
1: <sighs> yeah. Well, and yet, most of the stuff, well, I wouldn't say most, but a lot of the stuff that you help your clients do to build their micro fame at Microfame Media is online.
0: And there's ways to do serendipitous, have serendipitous encounters online. You just have to be a little more thoughtful than when you're out in a physical scene, you know?
1: Yes. So let's talk about this book. Let's do it. (laughs) Like five years ago, six years ago, I wrote an article this was before Donald Trump was on the scene in any political way. I wrote an article and I titled it, did Donald Trump have sex with an Argentinian prostitute uh, in 1986? Yeah, <laughs> and and then the article was like, I don't know, but it got your attention, right? Like, And then I forget exactly what it was, but it was like, you know, disrupt people's thinking. And, and I think you wrote back and you're like, have you read Ryan Holiday's book? And oh, now I'm forgetting it.
0: Is it Trust Me, I'm Lying, maybe?
1: Trust Me, I'm Lying. And I said, hell yeah, that's why I wrote that article. <laughs> so you picked up on it. And and so I'm bringing that story up because dot, 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 when you years later told me about your hype book, I thought of that book. So I don't know if that started, if that's part of your journey, but I know you like that book. I liked that book. A lot you. of great principles in it. So tell us a little bit about that book and and is it this irreverent, trust me, I'm lying kind of approach, but building on it? Or what is it?
0: Yeah, I mean, there, there, there's no doubt that that book was, was certainly one of many inspirations and a big inspiration. I mean, this book, th- I guess the difference, one of the many differences is that Ryan Holiday is really, really talking from the perspective of he was this media wonderkind kind of Bad boy when he was young, making, you know, really playing the media and he was exposing how that happened. Right. And I found that fascinating and amazing. Where this book departs a little is that I said to myself, okay, I've used some of these techniques. However, what if I looked at all of the people or many of the people? who have used these techniques and strategies from different fields, you know, and are there unifying principles? Can they be distilled out or are people just all over the map? In which case there's no book. And then what if I tested some of them in my practice? So I actually include Ryan Holiday in the book, but I look at horrible people like cult leaders that and, and, and people like that, even Charles Manson. And then I look at Martin Luther King and Warren Buffett and Amy Semple McPherson, who was kind of in between, she was a celebrity preacher, like the first celebrity preacher. And I find that there really are, if you strip out the content, it's completely amoral. There's, It's not immoral. It's not moral. It's just the way human beings respond to things, right? And yeah, as to whether it's how-to, it became very how-to. I actually was inspired by a, an awful place, but I'll admit it. It was... Um, I remember when I was in high school, people used to pass around the anarchist cookbook. Do you remember that at all? I've heard of it. Well, it's a horrible thing, and it actually has caused people to get killed. Because, Oh,
1: really? Well, yeah. what is it?
0: So this guy in the 60s, this like self-styled 60s radical, as many middle-class kids became for a couple of years, figured out if you're going to be a revolutionary what are all the things you need to know? So it's got everything like how to make bombs, how to make dr- drugs out of like, you know, marigold seeds, like any awful thing you can think of. But as a 15, 16 year old boy, and it got published and people ended up dying and this guy spent the rest of his life regretting what what he oh, did. Oh, wow. Here now. However, this was pre-Columbine. When you're 15 and 16, your frontal lobe hasn't quite developed yet. We never made any bombs, but we were like, oh, my gosh, this is so cool. You know, we would just pass it around. And it was like this
1: destruction. (laughs) I think Steve knows a lot about that book. It it was
0: probably the same thing. It's just like one of these things that like, you know, but I I did like the concept that there's like this handbook, this cookbook that any anarchist or revolutionary, that's like the one thing, like if they mastered this one cookbook, this one handbook they could be the master anarchist, you know what I mean? So I said, like, what? wouldn't it be cool as an adult who doesn't want to hurt people, quite the opposite, I'd like to help people. Wouldn't it be cool if there was kind of a benevolent cookbook, like if you wanted to, or handbook, if you wanted to do, if you really studied this thing, that you could promote and generate benevolent mischief and huge amounts of attention and huge amounts of interest around your ideas and do mm. it and to do that, you can't just look at the traditional marketers and salespeople because that's, they're not the best. I mean, they, they you know, they're, 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 there's stuff you can learn, but also they do things the safe way. Right. But Harry mm-hmm. did not. And he doesn't look up as a marketer, but he's a great marketer. So anyway, that's where it came from.
1: That is so cool. I love that concept. Yeah. yeah and you're looking at the outsiders, who are not going the traditional route and how they got massive followings attention yeah shepherd fairy is one that comes up a lot because steve and i actually recently when we were we were wondering you know the story is with shepherd fairy is that he put the obey sticker around the entire world for like 20 years
0: I am story. i getting that right i get, i tell the andre the giant which was at the symbol andre the giant. yeah i tell the exact same story yeah
1: OK, right. So 20 years all around the world, just putting this sticker yeah. everywhere. But the other day we were um, he comes up a lot in our conversations. <laughs> the other day we were talking, we were like, you know, I wonder if that is a story that he embellished or generate like he could have also embellished and generated it and put and strategically gone to. Major cities like because I I think about it. We look at, you know, we see a big graffiti. There's a big graffiti, uh, you know, in our view of our living room, you know, a couple blocks away. It says like Texas, greener Texas. I actually don't even know what it says. I'm staring at it (laughs) constantly. But it it I noticed that it's like advertising. You know, I see this all the time. So whenever I see that tag somewhere else, I'm like, oh, that guy, you know, it's so, it's like feels very famous. And that's what he did too. He, He just put his stuff everywhere. So at a certain point, It was ubiquitous. And so we were just wondering, I wonder how much of that story is what he did. And I wonder how much of any of that story is an embellishment on something he did strategically. Because if you went to Berlin, Paris, you know, Barcelona, New York, L.A., and you put your stuff there and then said, I've been traveling around the world, you could almost buy it.
0: It's so funny. This is such a great point. So, first of all, I don't know what Shepard Fairey did. He could have done either because people like him and Banksy are professional tricksters. You know what I mean? Like yes. part of what they do that, that's so great. And I think the other thing you're saying, you actually just deconstructed a hype principle. I mean, this idea of manufacturing mm-hmm. momentum. So it, it really this happens all the time. So like Andrew Lou Goldham, who I talk about a lot, he was the Rolling Stones first manager. And he basically created the Rolling Stones. I mean, they were like a middle class bunch of guys, actually less tough than the Beatles. And he turned them into like the bad boys. Of, <laughs> you know, That's funny. cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one of the things he would do, and this was before the internet, so but he 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 would call all the people he knew and pack a club in London, which is London. It's it's one of the cities you're talking about. And he would get all the good looking girls to come to the front of the stage and whatever. And he would take a picture and then he would send to all his press contacts. He would do it in like London and one other city and then send all this is a phenomenon across the country. Look at these crowds. And then it would become a phenomenon across. Mm. the country. But they had played like two gigs or something.
1: I love it. <laughs> yeah. And that's the kind of stuff that back then had even more power, or <laughs> a lot more power than it does now. But the principle still the principle, stands. you just
0: have to change your approach. Right. I mean, the in some ways, the Internet makes it easier. In some ways, it makes it harder, okay? mm. which is also why the Rolling Stones could become famous, famous, whereas now you can pick a niche and do the same tactics. You know, my daughter is 10 years old and she doesn't know who movie stars are, but she knows that her favorite star is this young woman, L.D. Shadow Lady. Who is a Minecraft YouTuber, and like to the point where she wants to go to England and see this person. So this person, you don't know who she. Do you know who she is?
1: No, I don't. My mom
0: doesn't know who she is, you know. But she's a superstar to my daughter, right? So that's the difference. It's so much easier to get lost now, but if you carve out like a certain niche, you can do a lot of the same things and kind of blow up in that niche.
1: And that's why your company is called Microfame Media.
0: I mean, I, that is true, but, but I am fascinated <laughs> by the idea. I mean, I think it's the secret to, to you, you can do hype in this thing I call hype, but it's really hard to get famous, famous now.
1: Right. And who needs, and who, so who needs it?
0: Famous, Yeah. You don't need it. You know? Yeah. I,
1: re- I remember uh, reading somewhere that Michael Jackson, first of all, his level of fame is, is unattainable now, but also it was kind of of right. a moment that it was even possible. Like, yes like, yes, I'm not taking anything away (laughs) from his, you know, incredible talent and all these different ways. But the the world isn't able to put one celebrity up to that level of fame today, the way that it did in the 80s.
0: There's no one. I mean, I I, I mean, there's fame. People are famous. I mean, Beyonce is old already, but she's famous. But People think, I mean, nowhere near as old, but she, as famous as she is, she's nowhere near as famous as Michael Jackson. Everybody, you know, he was the biggest star in the world. Yeah.
1: Yeah. She's pretty famous, though.
0: She's really famous. But also, yeah, you're right. I mean, how old is she, 40?
1: I think she's, I think she's like 38.
0: Is there anyone, she's pretty famous. So that, she's just Yeah. Is there any? But you
1: know what? You're right yeah. because there are probably little old ladies in a cottage in Britain that don't know who she is, and I don't think that would be possible with Michael Jackson.
0: No, and the far the farther you go back, yeah, the, the more it was like the right. Beatles,
1: Marilyn Monroe. Yeah, yeah, right.
0: Or, or you think about the Beatles, like Michael Jackson. I was seven years old when he was in his prime and I was obsessed with him. You know, he was like the most famous person in the world. But now going back and talking to older people, if you were in like the punk or metal scene, you, you didn't like Michael Jackson. You knew right. who he it was pop. Right. Whereas no. like, in the 60s, where like there weren't even different kinds of radio stations, it was like top 40 and classical and like three television channels. Like everyone liked the Beatles and not everyone, right. but they were like inescapable. Right, and, and, like the farther back you go in the mass media era, the more the less kind of dispersed
1: it is. Although my dad always mentions how his parents were like, "What is that music?" <laughs> like they listened to yeah, Frank Sinatra, yeah, 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 yeah. and they didn't like. I mean, they still right. knew who they were, though. They still knew who they were.
0: They knew who they were. Yeah, yeah I guess old people didn't. Okay. I mean, there's still always going to be famous people. I mean, Harry Potter blew up in a way that no one. They're they're always going to be phenomena. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I think it's a plus. I mean, I think it's amazing that this woman, LD Shadow Lady, is extremely, extremely successful and even famous and admired in her niche. And she's a really sweet—I mean, she's not hurting the youth. She's not—she's, like, doing cool stuff, building Minecraft stuff, you know, whatever. Millions of views, you know? She doesn't have to be recognizable everywhere she goes.
1: Well, there's kind of an opportunity— there as well that you maybe someone like her, you get all the benefits of the fame yeah. without all the drawbacks. That's
0: really true. I think that's really true.
1: Yeah. Cause you don't, you don't have your dinner interrupted wherever you go. I mean, again, I, I should have Steve inter- interviewing you cause he's <laughs> so he, I mean, we talk about this stuff a lot, but he is much more fascinated, goes down the rabbit holes on these (laughs) topics than I did. And
0: art show that he did the art and you, and you put it together, right. That was all about sort of deconstructing fame and everything.
1: Oh yeah. It's still, I mean, it's still going on. That brand is still alive and well, and is continues to evolve. I mean, it's called sellout. It's called hashtag sellout.
0: I thought that was a very cool idea.
1: I thought so too. I I mean, it's still, um, you know, the, the idea behind it is, putting it to the forefront, this idea of selling art and how a lot of people poo poo that and think that it somehow icky, especially artists, which I'm sure you can relate to that feeling because you're an artist at heart. But actually in the act of making selling the one of the core principles of the art, you actually become like the least like the most authentic version (laughs) because you are being upfront about it.
0: Actually, it's funny. I think we may have had this conversation uh, before in some form, but one of the things that really inspired me to kind of get obsessed with this topic and write this book is that, and this was with the first literary agent. He wanted me to go really deep on on this piece. but is that I think hype, which is another word for for selling yourself sort of, can really add color to the project or to the art like I've always like if you Mm -hmm. if you give me David Bowie versus the Eagles you know the Eagles with their plaid shirts and just strumming guitars and David Bowie who before he was famous would arrive in a limousine and he 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 created this persona as the greatest rock star in the history uh, not just of earth of the galaxy right like (laughs) that right or like Warhol I mean like yeah or the Sex Pistols where he, the manager would come out and say, "This is a giant scam. We're here to sell products." And they named their tour "Filthy Lucre," you know, like, like oh I think, I, I think that there's, I don't know, when the marketing and the art are one and the same, or the marketing and the project are one and the same. I think that adds color to it. I don't think it has to be a negative at all.
1: No, but I think a lot of people, if you're not thinking about it, see it as a negative because negative. they're not looking at the layers beneath it, which truly is that that is part of the art right the hype I, yeah, that's is part it. of the art
0: right i think most people i think i think it's i just remember um when i used to work in the uh brooklyn writer space which is this writing community in brooklyn where you can just write if you're a serious writer there's this woman there who will go unnamed who has since become a published novelist writes these very artistic books and whose husband has a lot of money and a very Very, very, very commercial and non-artistic field, which allows her to write books, which there's nothing wrong with, except for the, at at all, except for the fact that when she asked me what I do, and I started telling her at the time I did copywriting and content marketing, it's like, well, there is kind of a problem with that. Isn't there that you're using your, you know, writing in order to da-da-da, you know? No matter what to, to like push product and, you know,
1: oh, you know, oh,
0: yeah, oh say, gosh. Yeah,
1: oh, she's a purist.
0: A statement. Yeah. Right. that That's what I mean. Right. Yeah. You know, you know that, because you know, this idea that an article isn't a real article, it's for sales purposes and thought leadership. And I was like, well, let me explain. And then she like retreated into her cave to write her, her novels. Right. And I, and I was like, Easy for you to say. <laughs> you know, yeah, sure. That's nice. I mean, you, you can yeah. sell four copies, and and I think they own a building in Brooklyn or something. And <laughs> right. very yeah.
1: So. Yeah, it's really easy to be a purist when someone else is footing the bill. <laughs> yeah,
0: so. Or and, you. and there's nothing wrong, really nothing wrong with that. Couples help each other out. I don't have a problem.
1: Absolutely, but yeah. to, but to then judge someone who is also making a living off of it so it's just showing yeah kind of a a limited thinking
0: and then sometimes the stuff that was pure 50 years later is considered really bloated and pretentious and the stuff that was totally commercial that was derided at the time is considered awesome like the monkeys like everyone loves the monkeys now like they have like critical acclaim you know but that was
1: (laughs) i (laughs) love the monkeys
0: everyone likes them i mean they've been covered by everybody i mean who doesn't like the monkeys? you know yeah but at the time, I don't know. I'm sure there was some like electric strawberry psychedelic explosion band that was like considered really high class, while the monkeys were. You
1: well, know, weren't they like, for the show?
0: Totally for the show. Yeah, there they were
1: for the club. show. Okay, okay. Yeah, I mean,
0: yeah, it was just a product. I mean, yeah,
1: yeah. And that, I mean, and and isn't that doesn't that bring up fun conversations about what you know? Some people will say, "Oh, that's inauthentic. It was put together for this TV show. It's all commercialization." It's like. Well, at what point does it just be, you know, if the music is good, what does it matter? (laughs) What do you care? But some people are really purists about that. Obviously, we talk about purists a lot around here also considering we have a brand called hashtag sell <laughs>
0: yeah, really like honestly like when i was 15, well, they
1: teach you that in art school
0: the thing yeah i used to like all the like pump up the jam and whatever hit music and i like purged all that music from my cd collection yeah, you not know? cool
1: can't oh, have oh, people seeing that yeah. in your cd collection right. Yeah, but that's just, <laughs> that's just... right 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 and you know what else you are Kind of alluding to that I really like to actually tell me if this is a hype principle. Um, yeah. Your story about David Bowie. These also become those tall tales, those fables that help promote the fame of the story or enti- of the person or the entity. That's something else. I- I've actually been telling Steve, like there are. So actually, so here's what happened. Last year, there was a Greenpoint Open Gallery in our neighborhood. They do it every year. Open Studios. Greenpoint Open Studios. And w- the woman organizing it was on TV, talking about it, some local station. And they asked about it. And one of the things she mentioned was Steve, Steve hides these mini paintings in the neighborhood. No, that's
0: cool. And she
1: mentioned it. It was one of the three things she mentioned. There's h- hundreds of artists involved in this. And, you know, afterwards, we were like, it's because it was a clear, easy story to share. And it was yeah. very memorable. And I bet you, I don't think she was strategizing about that. I think when they asked her, it was like one of the first things that came to her mind. Right. And, and so I've been talking to him about that because I'm like, you need those stories. Like, do you know, do you remember that artist? I think his name is Hirschfeld. He does those okay. drawings of famous people, their line drawings.
0: Oh, I know who that is. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Okay. You know how in every drawing, his daughter's name, Nina, is somewhere written in it? you know that okay well my mom told me that i i remember i was maybe like eight years old we're at universal studios and they had like lucille ball and stuff in a hirschville and she told me that about the nina and every time i see one i like have to go find the name nina and it's like planting this stuff it just gives you it, it like i mean we've been trying to dissect this for years i think it it gives the viewer like kind of like an insider opportunity. It gives them like a like a story and a framework to really hold on to that person and like make it theirs.
0: I I think you're so right and I love the word tall tales because that's like an American kind of word for like myths, you know? Like I I think of it as like people love mythologies, right? Like like I remember since we're talking about music like living through the 90s and there's this official version of the nineties now it's like there was hair metal and then Nirvana came and suddenly no one liked that music anymore. And everyone was wearing flannel. And I think of the nineties that way. And it's like a mythology. And then when I like sit back and I'm like, you know, that's not really true. I mean, there were still hair metal bands after Nirvana and a lot of people like the grateful dead and rap music. And like, like you, so it's like, I'm using music because that's Mm -hmm. what we're talking about, but it's like, I think, it's a kind of theatricality like that's why they used to have theater in ancient Greece and and I talk about it. that is a hype principle theatricality and drama and I think oh, it's yeah. a form of creating new myths, like if you can cast yourself as part of a myth, like I think that's really cool and I think even small myths like adding Nina in there. It's like a code. You have to like have a codex for the picture. Yeah. Or, you know, a decoder. It's, it's, it's very cool.
1: Well, it's, it's something that I've observed over the years, watching people buy Steve's paintings, because I can, I notice that, especially if you like his art and you want a piece, well, now you're looking at all the pieces, trying to find the one that's for you. So you got to find something to, to connect with because there's usually Yes, people will buy something because they like it. But, you know, when you're paying thousands of dollars for a painting, usually you want to have some sort of connection. I remember this one time we had a client in the office. We did a brand up and then at the end of it, he bought one of the paintings because he's sitting in the studio the whole time looking at all this art. And then, you know, which has worked a couple of times. He's funny because he doesn't really fancy himself knowing about art. He owns a general construction company. But there was a painting that had some of that construction in the forefront because there's always construction in New York City. And I think it had like a yellow cone or something. And he like literally said that. He's like, I like that one because it's got some construction.
0: Yeah, I mean, right, it has to speak to. How many people do you think are in, I'm really fascinated. We're going really off topic now. I'm gonna take us off topic, but who cares? Like how many people do you think, like how is taste constructed? Like I think about my tastes and I have pretty strong tastes. And I wonder like, is there any human being in the world who like just looks at like a painting and is like, I like this painting because if it's pure color and form, like I feel like it's always connected to something subconsciously, even if it's not as overt as construction. Like I like this kind of like collage art, like Hannah Hock and everything. And I don't know if I like it because it reminds me of the zines I used to look at, or if it's because I like that whole Weimar Berlin thing, or if I just like the way it looks like I can't, separate the two
1: i i think as it's such a good question and and an impossible one to answer because of course taste is is influenced by everything that's happened up until then i mean i i think of that guy that famous guy who does all the mall art you know that like really there's a guy who made millions off of his mall art because i think what his name rito i don't know
0: He's this Miami guy, Brito. He's like the the poor man's Keith Haring. I don't
1: know. <laughs> no, no, no. These are like paintings of like little cottages and like little forest with oh, some yeah. some sunset, and they're very, they're very like pink and like, yeah, that you hang clean. on
0: a room wall. Yes, yeah. like yeah. a
1: cheap motel, and yeah. I think it became like a in all the malls a franchise. Huh. <laughs> these paintings and. They're so ugly. (laughs) These paintings are so hideous. But are they? Like, they're just little cottages with, you know, of course, I think they're hideous because they look cheap to me. But of course, plenty of people like them. And if you. So my my point is, of course, your taste is based on (laughs) all all the influences and what you've been told is is what you like and don't like what's good and what's not good. And, you know. Of course, you can't. You can't possibly. The only thing we always wonder is, like, did people always stare at sunsets? Like, did people always think sunsets were beautiful? Yeah, like,
0: is there a person on Earth? There might be people who don't care, but I don't know if there's anyone who like sees a sunset and is like, oh, that's pretty ugly,
1: right? <laughs> you know, I dislike yeah. that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Unless maybe you like fell on your head looking at a sunset. <laughs> I
0: like this show, I've been doing a lot of podcasts lately, and they're all great, but they're always about you know th- this is like more of like a conversation sitting around talking about cool stuff i like this that's
1: what that's what i like to do catch you up know. with people i like who have interesting things to say
0: i like it a lot
1: cool well so on that note how are you marketing your book i think a lot of people uh-huh. want to know how one markets a book especially because you are a marketing company
0: that's a very good question so i i'm going all out with the strategies that i've done for clients all this time and doing it for my favorite client which is is myself Uh, you know i always start with general principles and then i do little experiments and some of them fail and i abandon those pretty quickly and then the ones that stick um I, I stick with. So one thing I'm doing, I, I don't want to reveal it all because it's going to
1: have to. Okay. But I'm
0: picking fights. You know what I mean? There, there are people in the book and people in my articles that I have a very strong point of view that if you want to learn how to become a guru or learn how to market yourself, I, I don't even like the word market, learn how to hype yourself up, whatever, because um, you should look at what these gurus actually do, not what they teach. Right. So An example I use a lot because I wrote an article about it is how Gary Vaynerchuk is constantly, constantly, constantly telling people to work around the clock. And all of his fans are doing that. And what percentage of them are rich? Uh, Very few, right? But he's rich. So... Maybe it's better to tell people to work hard. And that's true. That's what cults do because it bonds you to them for various reasons. Because if you, if you then say, you know what, Gary Vaynerchuk's ideas aren't so great, but I've been working like a dog for the last nine months based on his ideas. That's like uncomfortable. That's cognitive dissonance. So uh-huh. as a you double down, you know, so I, I have a couple of ideas and figures that I'm going to put pretty prominent media placement where I'm challenging their ideas pretty strongly. So that's one. Um, Oh
1: my gosh! Can we do that? Can you and I get into a huge Twitter fight?
0: Oh, I'll do it. Yeah, no doubt.
1: I feel like we don't disagree on a lot of these things. Though I might have to manufacture an opinion,
0: (laughs) or figure out someone you really do. You like? uh, Do you like Tony Robbins?
1: Oh no, I meant me and you.
0: Oh, oh, against you. Oh yeah, yeah,
1: totally. And only the people listening to this podcast will know that it's totally. Placed,
0: yeah, yeah, we'll take that <laughs> offline as they say in the corporate world. Let's take that offline, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll totally figure that out. Watch
1: out now. You guys have to follow me on Twitter so you can check out our huge, massive fight that we're gonna have on Twitter. Okay,
0: I got maybe it's that maybe like, art is really the greatest form of art.
1: <laughs> well, I'm not taking that opinion,
0: <laughs> You're take have to take yeah, it. yeah. So, so okay, so yeah. that's what
1: and I'm doing,
0: cool. I guess. Relatively traditional things that just work, you know. Dory Clark, who we both know—I think you know Dory, right?
1: Yeah, she wrote the blurb on the back of my book. Yeah, that's
0: what I thought. Yeah, that's right. And um, of all of the just like straight-ahead like advice givers about thought leadership and marketing, she might be the best. I mean, her stuff is just so—it's there's no gimmick. Like she doesn't have like this over-the-top gimmicky hook but like her stuff actually works you know I don't that's know if kind of her that. brand is her that brand is
1: like I, I mean that's the vibe I get like that's kind of how she shows up you know that's how she dresses it's like look I'm just gonna just yeah. gonna tell you how it is <laughs> all correct. of her books are kind of written like that her articles she has lots of how-tos like how to give a TED talk how to get a TED talk. I and know. it works.
0: That's the thing. And it I works. all of these books where I'll be all excited like, look, this is the future to my business. And then I cool off for a few days and I realize that none of it is realistic at all. <laughs> so I don't know. So <laughs> I, I, She basically like got on a video and was like, listen, and she's promoted a lot of books very successfully. She's like, if you want to promote a book, there's two things you should do above anything else. You should do press, blah, blah, blah. But the two things you should do is podcast interviews, because even if only 100 people are listening to, to an episode, those are people who have engaged and taken the time to listen to a whole interview. That's that's a reader, you know, versus just someone who happens to be watching a show, Good Morning America or whatever, although that sounds more prestigious. And get on your friends' lists who have big lists. So I'm going to do that. And I've already been doing it. It's been working like a charm. Here's another thing. I don't know how many people listen to your podcast. You don't have to tell me. I'm probably giving away the ghost. But Forbes, well, I shouldn't even tell you this because you might write about me. Forbes fired for being too controversial.
1: You're kidding. Yeah. Yeah. For being yeah, too heard. controversial? I was just yeah. looking at some of your articles.
0: There were two in particular. So I wrote about the Nation of Islam, like learning market, <laughs> not like that at all. And then I wrote about the pickup artist community, which right now, and I don't like the pickup artist community. I think they're gross, you know? Uh-huh. But they're masters of psychology. There's no getting around that. Like and I, picking
1: and that. up women?
0: Well, do you know the whole pickup? Yeah. You don't know about that whole thing?
1: Is it the game? Yeah, the game. The game. Okay.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that was a whole community, and 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 okay. not only is it gross in general, it's especially not of this moment, you know. Like, yeah, it, I was it, gonna
1: say that's from back when I was friends with someone I'm not friends with anymore. <laughs> it was like 15 20 years ago. Yeah, like yeah. Every
0: young undersexed male read that book. Oh,
1: this right? is a female. This is a female friend who oh, wanted really? to know. Yeah. yeah, and then we would go yeah. out, and she'd be like, "They read it." <laughs> yeah,
0: because then guys, like, look they, what they're doing.
1: Yeah. yeah that was a per- it's so- like be shitty to people. <laughs> yeah,
0: but, but no, but that wasn't my point. My yeah, point, yeah, yeah. And I said that that was bad. What I said well, was yeah. that they they talk about some things that are just human, like emotional re- regulation, like there's this guy, mystery, who basically gets all these guys, the guys who come to a how to pick up girls seminar are not usually comfortable with women naturally. So he basically said to them, listen, when you approach women in a bar, you're going to feel shy. You're going to feel weird. You're going to feel uncomfortable. He's like, you got to detach from those emotions and think of them as a pebble in your shoe. And what I, what I, what I took from that is not that you should use that to pick up women. It's that if someone used this hype handbook that I wrote as the anarchist cookbook, they could take over the world. I could take over the world. Why do I not own the world? Because I get my my emotions get in the way. Mm. I, I, you know, and, and the different, the reason I think bad people often are so good at this is because they're sociopaths and they don't yeah they look at people I as have no
1: shame you know yeah exactly I have no yeah
0: but you need to combat some of that mm-hmm. not you don't have shame but you have to regulate your emotions a little bit but anyway I wrote these articles they were not pleased they cut my thing so I was thinking they didn't
1: even say anything they just cut it
0: then they said oh, and it, you said well you
1: I mean, I'm not taking it down. Did they take it down? <laughs> Can we read them?
0: Yeah, they took them down. They wrote the first first one about the nation of Islam and they told me that I showed very poor judgment. I was like, okay. But that's what I do. I'm not trying to be a jerk. I mean, these are the topics I'm into.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: And then later I wrote the other one and they were like, enough is enough. So. Anyway, I'm thinking of using that, <laughs> like on LinkedIn, and writing an article about
1: it. Yeah, you
0: know, getting, absolutely. Why I got fired from Forbes for being too, and then you telling other press to, you know, pick yeah, up
1: yeah, on yeah, it. yeah. I love so, it. So are they yeah. going to come after me when if I write an article that's about why, you?
0: That's why I don't want to tell you. You know, yeah, I know. Are you going to not write about me now? No. All right, good. Yeah.
1: I don't see why. All right. I don't well,
0: think they'll come after you.
1: They won't let me say the word badass still
0: yeah you know forbes i mean in all fairness to forbes because forbes was great i'm not i i i don't have a beef with them i mean i get it it's not their brand you know and and i'll think about that when you interview me for forbes because i do what i do i can't help it but it's forbes you know it's not rolling stone it's not vice i mean you know
1: right 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 okay Gotcha. Well, you're going to use the tactics in your book too. I mean, you, you have to, yeah. because that's it is
0: one of the tactics. I mean, you well, know, here
1: we are, we're doing yeah. it right now.
0: Well, like a Forbes thing. I mean, actually calling out, yeah. a phone, you know, in public, like I could have gotten angry about that. So like the other day, I got two hate mails in the last week and they make me so happy. Like it just says to me success. I got one from a very far left group and I, We don't need to go into my politics, but you can assume that I'm not joining the Proud Boys anytime soon, Uh right? It was like a far-left group that called out the American Marketing Association. They said, affirm this, you know, I forget what they use, some very, like, modern, woke language to talk about how they uh, don't agree with me and they're against me. Firm stop on Michael Shine, you know, because he's talking about hype and we just had a president who did hype. So that was awesome. And then another one was some guy who called me like a knuckle dragging Neanderthal professional hater. And I, I, don't, I don't. So that was awesome, too. I got about like 60 likes on that tweet when I share uh, on that So on that when I posted that. So that kind of stuff. Bring it on. I, I love that stuff. Yeah, anger nice. anger tra- travels well, you know.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's too bad because like what you're saying is you're basically making a version of the anarchists cookbook handbook or cookbook. Cookbook
0: in that case, cookbook
1: yeah. for good.
0: I'm trying to, yeah,
1: but then using these, understandably, it's like using anger, which is which gets a lot more play online.
0: I'm not going to go after Taylor Swift and say, Listen, you're I'm going to use something stupid because she's beautiful. Your eyes are too big, you know. Yeah. I don't, I'm not going to like do that. Uh, if someone has an idea that just isn't logical and and doesn't make sense, I'm going to go after that. Right. You know what I mean? And, and that gets people angry. People don't like to be called out. But I actually think that's important.
1: Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's the positive side of trolling. Is that you can hold people accountable. And, like, for
0: example, Jordan Peterson the other day, who I'm not a fan of, you know, I don't hate as much as other people, but I'm not a fan. Apparently a, that's a, a whole
1: other conversation, but yeah. Yeah.
0: I, I don't know enough about him, but he annoys me, but that's not logical. And I don't know his work really, mm-hmm. but something came out about how the staff at paint at whatever his publishing house is cried because they didn't want to publish his book. Okay. So some woman writes on there, what's getting lost in this story is that Jordan Peterson is a very bad person. Now, that may be true. I just don't know. But that's a bold claim. He's a very bad person. I mean, Hitler is a very bad person. So he's a very bad person, period. So I said, I do not know Jordan Peterson's work very well. And I'm really not a fan. But what evidence do you have that he's a very bad person? And people went crazy. I I got 20,000 views on this tweet. Wow. Because and and the he's very bad because he says that women and men should be separated. Da, da, da. And if you look at the clip, he, he doesn't say that. He says something you might disagree. He doesn't say women and men should be separated. Like, you know, so like there's this anger that comes up around pure questioning and pure disagreement. Yeah. And while I don't think that's good for society. You can use it, you know, to get it. Yeah.
1: Well, I think it's safe to say that any. Anything that can have a a powerful effect can be used for good and bad, no matter yeah. what it is. And so there's kind of a there's always an opportunity when something is wielded for bad to use it in the, in the positive way. Sorry. But unfortunately, it's just as true that you can create something or do something that's used for good and somebody can take it and use it for bad
0: it's it's i mean you know atomic energy is used for power and for right. blowing up cities i mean not right. yet.
1: it's the article i never wrote during the 4 years of trump was what well, we can all learn from trump because trump has a badass brand now, i'm not saying i like trump but he is clear yeah. specific <laughs> he he's too, you know says no to everybody else only talks to his ideal clients like speaks he's the in best. their language he's the yeah
0: best in the world i mean he's he's, the best
1: marketer. he took it all the way to the white house and i didn't and i didn't want to write that i didn't write it because i i thought that too many people would not read it and then just make assumptions which i don't i have never read jordan peterson's stuff i only know what i have heard from people um someone specific in my family who reads a lot of stuff but his position not to get too off topic but his his understanding of it is basically that this guy is really trying to turn people who are extremists and the only way to do that is to speak in their language and well, to that, them and yeah, he keeps very saying
0: that's very awesome yeah
1: right and that's that's so i you know i haven't again i haven't read it so i really don't know but that's my understanding from some people who have really read it and share more liberal views. But that's very hard because you, if you don't take a stand in a certain direction, then people will assume you believe something else. But if you take that stand, then the people you're trying to convert won't listen to you. It's a tough situation to be in.
0: Well, I've seen clips of his, and I have never read a word he's written, and I've only seen little clips. And what I will say, my impression is, is that he's very easily disagreed with. I disagree with the few men some of the few clips I said. I've agreed with other things, but all he's offering is a point of view and it's always i believe well thought out. I don't think there's anything evil. I think he believes what he believes. Now you might think it's harmful for society and that's fair. Um you know, but uh you know like for example, he made the point that it's possible. I'm not saying I agree with this at all but this is an example of of evil versus a point of view that's distasteful. He said that when people talk about um, discrepancy in income between men and women, that may be true, but there are other factors. For example, women on average are more agreeable than men and agreeable women, agreeable people, not women, tend to make less income. Also, they often leave their jobs for periods of time voluntarily, because they're pregnant and when they come back so he says that we that may be true it may not be true but it's not eugenics it's not hitler it's not you know I mean, right, right 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 arguable point of view but people talk very bad person horrible sexist maybe i don't know
1: <laughs> right you know. right that can really get lo- lumped in with sexism right yeah meanwhile i have friends who are yeah on their second maternity leave in two years. <laughs> I don't know. And, I don't want no, to it know it happens. happens. And you're, I'm kind of like, it's, like really? It's hard to stay on the same track when you take off time. I, exactly. I don't know. Exactly. Exactly. And yeah, yeah. It, it's more that the nuance is interesting to discuss, but right. there's not that much opportunity to discuss it if it's immediately labeled as one thing or another. That's my problem.
0: That That's why I challenge that. I really... Yeah think sometimes I debate to learn, you know, yeah. and the fact that we can't have a debate and we can't have a conversation because there are right points of view and wrong points of view. I, I don't think that's a good thing. I mean, I, I just,
1: yeah. Great. Well, I think that what's sometimes missing from those kinds of statements are just like some accuracy. You know, when you say men and women, you create these sweeping statements right, that right. are enraging. But when Raging. you say on average, on average. more right. women take off time, of course they do. <laughs> like,
0: men have more upper body strength than women. Men are better athletes. Right, right. I-, I assure you that, you know, I don't know, Steffi Graf is a far better athlete than I am. <laughs> right. you know? But on average, men have more upper body strength than women. Right. And anyone who disagrees with that is ridiculous. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, we we try to play the accuracy game in our house a lot because accuracy, the breakdown of accuracy is where communication breaks down, <laughs> right? Like really good point. The more accurate you can be, the the less tense it is because when you're when you say things in generic sweeping statements, it leaves opportunities for the listener to fill in the blanks.
0: I just had a revelation from what you said. I think what enrages people is that people who actually are secretly sexist or resentful use these arguments as an excuse to confirm their views. So they'll say, well, men are just, uh, you know, more or less nurturing than women, you know, And, and then they'll say, well, it's just true. And that makes people angry because they're not really trying to get at the truth. They're trying to. Yes. Confirm this, this. This view that they have, whereas one thing I'll say about Jordan Peterson, I think his followers do that. Again, I'm not. Please note, I am not saying I agree with him. I don't know <laughs> to agree with him, okay. and in fact, annoys me his demeanor. Me is too.
1: Demeanor, Yeah. You know?
0: But I've never heard him say anything without, you know, I, I, you know. I mean, there's things I just dis- without. He doesn't speak inaccurately. He he might be wrong. Mm-hmm. But He won't just say men. Usually he'll say mm-hmm. on average or, or whatever. Now he does quote people like Carl Young, who on a regular basis, who I think has no scientific basis whatsoever, but that's a different story. But yeah,
1: gotcha. I love that accuracy
0: thing. I think that's so true.
1: Yeah. It's, it's actually, we started it because of my son, you know, toddler, And we got it from one of these parenting books. Oh,
0: really? Because
1: yeah, I don't know if it said that specifically, but it was like it kind of came from well, just a a whole host of ideas where, you know, we talk about like bottom shelf language and top shelf language. You know, like oh, that's interesting. Oh, that's good. Oh, that's bad. Like these are such throwaway words. What does what the fuck does that mean? You know, what does bad mean? um, You know, and and trying to get away from using that kind of language because. Oh, well, this is, bad. you know, it's bad to hit people, but also that tastes bad. And also right. this, you know, that, you know, a million things. And then you grow up and it's just like, we're trying to be good and you're trying not to be bad. But what is bad? Oh, it's like okay. a bazillion things that I just learned over many years of hearing it from my parents that all these things were bad. Yeah, um, right. So instead.
0: White like thinking. I mean, that causes exactly. a lot of anxiety. Yeah. Right.
1: So we call that bottom shelf. Words. So we try to, you know, anytime one of us says like good or bad or interesting, we're like, well, what do you really mean? You know, and it's hard. It's a lot more mental work. But the benefit is, oh, what do I mean by interesting? Okay, I actually mean, and then you have to explain it, but it actually forces you to process what you really mean. Or uh, this isn't good. This doesn't taste good. You know, it tastes sweet and crunchy and blah, blah, blah. And in the process of doing that, not only does it exercise our brain a little bit more and get us away from using just this, you know, just speaking mindlessly, but also our son hears a lot more words which is you can you can tell already i mean he's two That's and a half cool. his language is off the charts because he's saying all the. because we're like constantly <laughs> like explaining <Yes>. everything <laughs> to him i gotta
0: use, i mean i have a 10 year old she's a, a little bit in a different phase but even now i, I have never heard that concept that i've done a poor job of that because she'll constantly say like this person is mean or being a little bit mean. It's like they're mean, you know, but I'll, I'll, you know, but that's the word she has for that. For any any human trait that's negative is mean.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And it makes it hard for uh, a kid, you know, adults for us to like even process our own thoughts and emotions because right. we don't have, if you don't have the language that's how we process things. So if we don't have the language, everything, I'm just upset. <laughs> you know, like, well, why? Are you disappointed or are you sad or are you angry or are you frustrated? Or, you know, there's a bazillion. I do,
0: yeah. Like good therapists do that, right? They'll say, like, what is the emotion you're feeling? You know, when you're just and like, it's I'm hard. you know,
1: you're
0: somewhat <laughs> depressed. I'm like depressed. You're like, are you sad? Are you anxious? Is it, you know, yeah.
1: Exactly. Well, yeah. so obviously we're doing all that work ourselves, so we're trying yeah. to pass it on to him, so he doesn't have to do that work in the future.
0: I always worry about that. To not worry, I think about how, like, I'm like so guaranteed. I'm so like, I try to do a good job as a dad, and I try to. I'm. My mom is great, and you know whatever. But you think about things that you wish your own neuroses and that you want to do better. And I'm sure that I'll go too far on that side. And that's what she's going to be in therapy about. But it's it's still worth trying. I mean, there's 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 a way to, I think, be connected to your kid versus not. I think that's a really good one. I like that a lot. I'm going to try to. What book was that?
1: I think it's more extracted from a number of yeah, books. Yeah. Well, you I think I responded to a book that you yeah, shared. Book. The whole brain child. What a great name!
0: It to name it. That's his idea, right? Yeah, that whole idea of like. Yeah,
1: like it's from that.
0: Name the emotion. Yeah, that's that's right. Yeah, I think that I never thought of it the way you said it with the top shelf and the bottom shelf. I love that and specific language. I really like that a lot. That's cool how you've interpreted that. Well,
1: you know where we got. We call it. I got top shelf, bottom shelf from a friend of mine, but we got the concept from this movie. What did he he call the? What is it called, Captain Something? It's about this guy who homeschools his kids in the woods. <laughs> Captain Something, I don't know, and and they're brilliant. They like know how to like, you know, catch and skin a elk, and they've read everything, and they're you know, it's like you know, they're these brilliant kids who grew up in the in the forest. But he's constantly saying illegal word whenever people are using the word interesting, <laughs> illegal word, you know, so that the kids have to like express themselves. And these brilliant kids, and I was
0: like, Do you guys only have one? son or do you have yeah. a seven? Yeah.
1: yeah 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 how old is Just he
0: a one two and a half it's interesting what happens when they they get older because when you're when they're two and a half it's really really hard at the same time they're so centered around you and like it's funny at 10 like especially with the pandemic she's so into roadblocks which is this game where all the kids interact uh, with their friends because they can go out, but it's very addictive and it's challenging because I'm working. So I, I guess I'm working and she has to be on there, but I don't right. want to her too much. Right. It's just funny, I'm I never really thought about how you, you almost feel like you're engineering them a little bit when they're like two, three, four, you know. I oh am, yes. <laughs> You know, I, I'm struggling with this new phase. I, I love it in a lot of ways. You know what I mean? Yeah. We watch Back to the Future together and like have <laughs> real conversations. Right. But at the same time, it's like she's truly her own person now, you know? And it's like a whole different set of skills than, than when you're little, when they're really little.
1: Oh my gosh. I can't imagine.
0: Yeah, you'll get there. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> Whether right. I like it or not, I'll get there. Yeah. You'll get, oh, yeah, yeah. No, we're definitely in like, our little scientific project phase
0: (laughs) Yeah, like that, but not, not maybe as good at it as as you. I think I'm a good dad, but I don't think I, I don't think I read enough books, but now it's like, I'm almost trying to like, I don't know. I feel like I've been thrown for a loop a little bit. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I I can, I can only imagine. I mean, they're their own person. They have a lot of qualities from you. (laughs) Yeah that you now have a little you walking around.
0: But not, you know what I mean? Like they're a mix of you and the other parent. Yeah. They're them.
1: They're, they're, they're their them. own person. Yeah,
0: you know, yeah.
1: They're their own person, I and know.
0: I mean, you love them more than life itself and you see all their positives and you wanna unconditionally love them, but it's not like when they're little, it's like, oh my gosh, they drew a perfect circle. They're gonna be an engineer, Michael <laughs> Whereas like when they're older, she, you're, you're like, She's like, your grandmother's in town. She wants to walk up main street with you and buy you a toy. Eh, walking. Eh. You know, I'm like, fuck you. Like, what, you're not going to walk up the block. Like, you know, lazy piece of crap. You know? <laughs> They're not like your little genius anymore, you know? <laughs> yeah.
1: No, that's definitely true at this age. Like everything, because they do, I'm, I'm realizing it's just kind of, because you, you look at other people and like, God, you think your kid is so brilliant. But then you're like, but my kid's brilliant. But that's because you watch them right. go from a blob. So every time they can do something new, which is, of course, how it works, <laughs> they're going to be able to do new things all the time until they become. I know, but you do. Well. and, they, and, they, and they they do it, like,
0: like a circle. Whoa. Of two like, she drew a person. She's going to be a fantastic artist. Oh,
1: well, like, we're we're totally in that phase <laughs>
0: again, She oh has so many talents and she's so wonderful and she's so creative i'm just saying
1: yeah 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 it's, it's a different because, experience
0: yeah it's a parent you're like you know come
1: well, on i'll have to read a different book for that
0: yeah i gotta start reading the books because i'm just like <laughs> yeah it's
1: it, it's more that this is it, the the books about the child raising are the books about the human condition about our own brains and our own selves and to honestly influence a lot of how I then interact with my clients with my you know in my business like they're all connected because it's just why do people do the things that they do and and
0: psychology I mean communication I mean yeah the only difference is that kids brains are a little less regulated you know like they don't hold it in as well but other than that it's the same psychology yeah, that's
1: fascinating too. I mean, I, I you know, I, whenever he has a tantrum, like I read something about tantrums and how it's like, well, we're always having tantrums too. We just act differently, yeah, you know. No. That's when we're kind of rude yeah. or or you know, bitchy to someone or something.
0: Yeah, that's what it is, and,
1: the- <laughs> and they don't have those skills, so they're just like. Ah.
0: And the sad thing is the more you know somebody and the more you love someone, the more you show the tantrum side to them. You can't like, you know, do that to somebody out on the street. So you take it out on people close to you. Right. Yeah,
1: exactly. And that's, <laughs> and that's all super useful information. I use that information when right. I deal with my clients, like quite mm-hmm. honestly, or when I'm writing about marketing or branding, like I think it's all
0: deeply
1: related. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're going to teach this year, I'm almost positive, we're going to teach people our process, our brand up process, how we work with clients. Yeah, for the first time ever. And I'm trying to figure out how we're going to do it because it's all psychology, like the whole thing, you know, you think, you think it's about your design, but it's actually about how you deliver the design. You know, how you talk to them, how you bring them on board, like all that stuff.
0: I've always thought that's what made you guys successful because there's a lot of designers out there calling themselves branding people that's become the norm and you have a top shelf artist in steve you know but not what it is that's what i'm saying the reason you guys have kind of gone up a notch in your success a very large notch is because of this piece that you're talking about right now
1: yeah no I, i think i think it is and actually when i and you must encounter this too because you work with consultants like we only work with like super badass Consultant type people in all kinds of industries. And you know what they all have? They all have this psychology piece. Like they're all thinking about what they're delivering on two levels. They're thinking about the thing they're delivering, and then they're thinking about the people they're delivering it to and how it's going to be received and how they can best do that so that the people are able to implement it or whatever, you know, whatever their thing is. And that's the part that you pay big top dollar for. Uh-huh.
0: Not even a question. Even that- if you don't know it and people think of psychology as like almost this second piece like it's separate from the rest of it but i don't know i would say it's 90 percent otherwise you've just got a bunch of yeah it's like pork it's bell- frozen designers. Frozen yeah. orange juice you know yeah i mean right i mean pork tomatoes,
1: bellies right? And fresh. <laughs> <laughs> nice reference <Right>. <laughs> nice.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Where do you call it um, you guys One can look google if you don't know what <laughs> just is, just uh, google NG oranges people. and yeah. pork
1: bellies <laughs> yeah. it should come up with just that right awesome well i love where this conversation
0: <laughs> yes. it ended with pork bellies and frozen oranges. Yes.
1: i'm thinking i'm gonna put that in the intro okay mike well january 12th
0: january 12th the hype
1: handbook the yes. hype handbook anyone I think this is. I'm not exactly sure when this is going to come out. It. it I, I mean, I can try to make it come out right then. So maybe it's already January 12th. Okay. What should people do? They should go to Amazon and buy it. Should they yeah, not go to like Amazon that. and buy you it?
0: If you have a bookstore that's open and they happen to have it, it's always good to support bookstores. However, you now and and you know Barnes and Noble online, Amazon online, those are all great places.
1: Cool. Well, I can't wait to read it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on here and chatting with me. Uh, it's been a pleasure.
0: This is one of my favorites. Thank you, Pia. Awesome.
1: Talk to you soon. Well, I can't wait to read Michael's book. And if you can't either, then go pre order a copy at Michael F. Shine, C H E I N, dot com. I will link to it in the show notes at piasilva.com backslash podcast. Remember, it's coming out on January 12th. So depending on when you're listening to this, it might already be out. And if you buy the book, and I promise he didn't ask me to say this, but as a fellow author, I feel it's my responsibility to say this, um, go write a review on Amazon. Spread the review love because when you write your book someday, you're going to want people to take a minute and write you a review because it helps other people find the book. So put out that really good review business juju, okay? Also, if you know other entrepreneurs who are struggling to put their business in its place and could benefit from hanging out with us here, then please share this podcast with them. Hard work can only take you so far. It's how you show up in your business that really makes the difference. And to make sure that you don't miss an episode of Show Your Business Who's Boss, make sure to hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast player. Taking inspiration from Michael today... I want you to think about a group or an organization or yes, even a cult that you find repulsive, yet still seems to attract a ton of attention. And instead of focusing on what you don't like about it, go look at what they're doing that engages their audience and turns them into loyal, sometimes psychotically loyal fans. Any strategy that is used for bad can also be wielded for good and vice versa, which means we need to be responsible business owners who use these marketing tactics to ultimately create more value in the world, not less. I see it as our responsibility to do so, to drown out those that are using these tactics just to make money and sell snake oil. If you're selling something that can truly help other people, I think it's your responsibility to do what it takes to be seen by your audience so that they know you exist. And I know it's a tough pill to swallow for most people who think that, you know, self-promotion is icky or they feel uncomfortable about putting themselves out there. But think about it this way. If you don't embrace it, you're going to be stuck as the best kept secret. And those snake oil salesmen who are really good at getting seen but don't really deliver, they're the ones who your audience is going to buy from. And that's no good for anyone. So, today, I want you to work on your mindset about self-promotion. Because that absolutely can be your next step to showing your business who's boss. Show Your Business Who's Boss is produced by Yellow House Media. Production coordinator is Sean McMullen. This episode is edited by Marty Seafelt. Production assistance by Kristen Runvik. Our theme music is Glass Prisms by Western Runners.